we are tackling our fifth and almost final installment uh, of our series on the good, sorry, it's the fourth. It's the fourth. I'm thinking, don't worry, it doesn't matter what I'm thinking. We're doing the fourth installment. We are looking at verse four of Psalm 23, one of the better, if not best known Psalms uh, that is found right pretty much in the middle of your Bible. Those of you that, that, that have a paper Bible, you'll find it pretty much in the middle of your Bible. And I would encourage you, if, you, if you're joining us for the first time, go online uh, later on, not now, and check out uh, our YouTube page or the podcast and catch up. Um, because I really do think that, that there is something unbelievably life-giving and encouraging and perspective giving as we take a look at some of the principles found in the psalm. Most scholars argue that David, who wrote the psalm, so there's no debate over who wrote it, so David, who became King David, David from David and Goliath fame, David from David and the Shepherd Boy, who wrote a lot of psalms and songs fame, that he didn't write this at an early stage of his life, but rather towards the end of his life. And the reason that's important, as some of you know, is that we can be quite idealistic in the earlier parts of our lives. Yeah, God's good, everything's great. Lord's my shepherd. Oh, I feel warm and fuzzy. But hey, <clears throat> when you get to, when you've gone through some stuff, when you've gone through wars, when, when your son has betrayed you as he's did, when you've lost other children, when, when you've gone through the ringer, when you've made horrible mistakes that, that can haunt you for the rest of your life, your perspective is deeper. The, the words may be the same, but the meaning is so much deeper. There's a, there's a different gravitas. There's a different weight to when we talk. When you've been through the winters, the deserts, the wildernesses, the confusions, the mysteries, the frustrations, the delays, the denials, and, and you're able to still with honesty, authenticity, integrity say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my soul. Even though I'll go through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I don't have to be afraid. You're able to say that with a depth and a conviction and a sincerity that others want to actually catch on to and experience. It's not just trite. It's not just nice, poetic, hype. It's, it's, not just, it's not just exciting language. No, no, this, this is a psalm, I believe, written by a man who knew what it was to walk closely with God, who knew what it was to drift away from God, who knew what it was to experience the grace of God and come back to God again, who knew what it was to experience the highs, and who knew what it was to experience the bitter lows, who knew what it was to succeed in serving God, who knew what it was to fail miserably in following God. There's a gravitas, there's a weight to this. Reading from verse one very quickly. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. In other words, not only is he wanting to bring renewal and restoration, but, but, he also want, but out of that renewal, we looked at this last week, he, we're able to actually discern his voice, his wisdom, his promptings as he directs us along the right paths. And some of you know that we need to hear God's whisper, God's voice, God's prompting, God's perspective when it comes to the right path because everything is not spelt out for us. 
The Bible doesn't make it abundantly clear whether you should take that particular promotion under those circumstances or whether you should perhaps call it a day on that relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, husband, wife, that's a different story, um, because of these challenges versus those. Like, when it comes to our finances, there, there are so many possibilities and applications. That's why we don't ever want to be legalistic in telling you what you have to do with your... No, no, God, God actually invites us to trust Him with all of it and to follow Him and His leadings, His promptings. And it is for His name. It's to bring Him honor. And then this is the verse we're looking at today. Even when I walk through the darkest valley. Please notice the word when, not if. I know this isn't encouraging, okay? At least depending on your personality. I find it encouraging because I'm like, okay, 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 cool. I'm not surprised when it happens. For others, it's like, wait, what? What do you mean it's not always going to just be amazing? No, no, it's not. (laughs) There are going to be challenges. There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be valleys. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. We'll come back to this in a moment. Verse 5 says, You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. Can we just go back for a moment? And we'll look at this next week. You prepare a feast for me. Where? In the presence. Again, it's so easy for us to want there to be no presence of enemies. Okay, God, the blessed life is the absent of challenges, the absent of enemies' life. And God's like, no, no, you're thinking way too shallow. I can still provide, bless, protect. And in this case, he's saying prepare a feast in the presence of your enemies. My cup overflows with blessings. Oh, so much rich stuff. And verse 6, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And that's why I love that song that we started off with. Um, for those of you that have been in church for a long time, you're like, that's an old song. I know, but I love it. Yeah. I love how it declares the goodness of God. There is something meditative, reflective about constantly declaring God is good. That doesn't mean that all the circumstances are good. It doesn't mean that we have everything we want, when we want it, how we want it. But it doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change his character. It doesn't change his nature. God can't not be good. He can't not be good. And so this psalm is all about that. That's why the first verse starts off with, I have all that I need. In perspective, if if I'm going to trust God, I can be confident that I can be secure in God. I can... I can be comforted in God. If God wants me to have it, he can provide. If if he calls it a day, this side of eternity, I can trust God with the other side of eternity. I don't have to always see how it's all gonna work out. I can trust God because he is good. Three things I wanna highlight though from verse four, very quickly. The first is simply the part that we can't miss and that's the dark values, okay? Again, this isn't what we generally wanna, you know, paste on the landing page of the church or Christianity or the Bible. Hey, guys, welcome to the dark valleys. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best ever. No, no. I'll behave myself. Um, But, you know, when people criticize the Bible, and I don't know enough to get into debates with some of the more 
academically rigorous uh, opponents. However, I do think that something that should stand out to us is that the Bible doesn't cover over or cover up challenges, weaknesses, failures of all of the people that, that, that we, whose stories we read and whose examples we try and fo- follow, ultimately, it's impossible for us to fully appreciate 2,000 years later how culturally radical it was for the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, to, to speak to the value placed on women. For Jesus to have first communicated who he was to an outcast, not only culturally, but also because of immorality and gender, to a Samaritan woman at a well. And the fact that the Bible does not shy away from the fact that there will be challenges, that there will be pain. We will face values. The, the same shepherd that leads us beside quiet waters and peaceful streams, the same shepherd that leads us to, to green pastures, is the same shepherd who leads us, if we'll follow, through dark valleys. Jesus, in John chapter 16, verse 33, uh, the second half said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He's like, don't be surprised. He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying this to his followers, who by the way, um, would have, they were about to watch him be crucified. So you'd think that they'd really get it, right? Well. They really, really got it sometime later when almost every one of his followers, those initial apostles or what we might call disciples, where eventually almost every one of them died a pretty, a pretty intense death. Paul, the, one of the other early church apostles who at first was persecuting Christians and then had an encounter with Jesus, and by the way, that's what it takes, an encounter with Jesus. It's seldom going to just be a mental exercise or, or a convincing or a good enough argument. It's going to be experiencing the love, the grace, the presence of Jesus. Went from persecuting and overseeing the martyrdom of people like Stephen to where he was willing to suffer any and all kind of pain and discomfort. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, I think it's in chapter 1 or 2, he actually talks about how we thought we were going to die. We were so pressed. We were under so much pressure. We were, we were facing so much opposition that we thought that we would die. Besides the fact that he does actually give accounts of being shipwrecked multiple times, imprisoned multiple times, um, uh, pelted with, with stones, with, with rocks until the people doing it thought he was dead. Like, like he went through stuff, yet that's the same person who in Philipp, the book of, like the whole letter of Philippians talks about rejoicing in the Lord, writing this from a prison, by the way. And again, I don't think that he was just, I don't think he'd taken too many knocks to the head. I don't think that, that, that he had had, you know, you know uh, oxygen deprivation while he was on one of those shipwrecks. I think he truly learned what it was to experience the anchoring, supernatural peace that passes understanding, a joy and a confidence that comes from, from not knowing about God, but actually knowing God, walking with Him, experiencing Him, experiencing Him taking you through the dark valleys and providing comfort and providing protection. That's why I think Paul, with all sincerity, said, guys, it's okay. It's okay. Philippians chapter 4 talks about not being anxious about anything. This is written from a prison. But praying about everything, thanking God for all he has done. 
Jesus warned us. Paul spelt it out repeatedly. Jesus' half-brother, James, in the book of James, writes in chapter one, verse two, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. I know that sounds weird. We've told him this before. His, his, his whole philosophy there is like, hey, this is the school of life. Consider it an education. Consider it, consider it your PhD in some cases from, a, from, from the top university. This is how we learn. This is how we grow through trials of many kind. All right, so dark valleys. Don't worry, it gets better, okay? So, I mean like better, better, not sarcastic better. I mean, okay, so they're, they're dark values. This is a reality, let's not deny it. But secondly, this particular verse, I think, speaks of peace. That it is possible to have peace in the face of anxiety, uncertainty, and suffering. Now, again, I'm very mindful that in a mixed audience like this, different ages, different stages, different experiences, this will mean different things to different people. For some people, they'll just sound nice. For others, though, you know the pain of uncertainty. You know the physical pressure. And just to encourage you, Jesus was so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that his blood corpuscles started to burst and he sweated drops of blood. Don't allow someone... Don't allow the enemy to shame you about dealing with stress. There's a difference between worry, which Jesus said not to do in Matthew 6, and, and dealing with the stress that comes from the pressure being applied to you. Those of you that have been under pressure, you know that peace is not a luxury. You know that peace is not, it's not just a cute word. You know that peace is oxygen. You need peace in spite of lacking perspective, in spite of lacking the answers. You can have confidence in the confusion. It's still confusing. You still don't know what's gonna happen. You still don't know what's around the corner. There is still no guarantee. There is still no ETA on God's guaranteed deliverance. And yet, not because of knowledge alone, not just because of academic understanding alone, but because of experiencing the presence, the love of our Father, we can have peace. That peace doesn't look sexy, it doesn't look exciting, it doesn't look, it doesn't look, it doesn't look uh, extreme to those, right? But, but there's a depth, and it's life-saving. David writes in verse four, I will not be afraid. He goes on to explain why, because you're on your staff, protect and comfort me. You, you are there to protect me, you are there to comfort me. And by the way, sheep were very fearful animals, like they're, they're anxious. They're, they're like, you know, what, what, what? They're, 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 they're not terribly secure, they're definitely not bright. Like, like, and, and when they're walking through the valley, they, they know that there are also predators that, that live in the shadows of the valley. But they watch the shepherd. They follow the shepherd. They don't know where the shepherd's gonna lead, when the shepherd's gonna walk out of the valley. They don't know, but they follow the shepherd. Again, going back to John 16, 33, this time the whole verse, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, 
In other words, there is hope because I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying there will be challenges, there will be trials. And, and by the way, just to also encourage those of you that are already like spinning out of control, thinking, wait, what does this, like, you mean life's going to suck and, this is, and, and I could face anything that other people are facing? Don't be discouraged by what you're seeing other people enduring. God knows what you can endure. All of us can think of people where we're thinking, I could never do that. I could never, you know, where, where your instinctive thought is, I could never, you don't know what you can cope with, by the way, first of all. But secondly, God does know. And that's why I think one of the, one of the most encouraging verses in the New Testament is where, again, Paul the Apostle says that, that he will not allow you to be tested, or tempted, by the way, beyond what you can handle. Now, I can be so dumb that I can step out of God's lane and put myself into situations that I can't handle, so I can tempt myself or test myself beyond what I can handle, but God, if I'm following him, will not allow me to be tested or tempted beyond what I can handle. Some of the greatest problems in the valley, some of the, some of the most significant questions that some of us are asking ourselves when we're going through a valley, a winter, which is also a season, by the way, human nature, we just want springtime and harvest, like and in Cape Town, we want autumn and, I don't know about you, I love autumn and I love spring. We didn't really have a winter this last year, but, but, but winter is a season. Windy summer is a season. And so we'll ask questions like, is God really, really in control? And by the way, that is not a bad question to be asking. Someone that hasn't wrestled over some of these questions can lose their faith in a day. Because you have a single circumstance that messes, messes with your view of God. You have a certain obstacle. You have a certain thing that you, you have an intelligent person that asks you a question that you don't have an answer to. It is good to wrestle over our faith. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we be, be more comfortable being open about wrestling over questions? I would add respectfully, but why not? Yeah. Is evil going to harm me? Will I be swept away? Will I be torn to pieces? These are, these are understandable fears of a sheep going through the valley. And then third and finally, presence. I believe that the answer to the dark valley, to the uncertainty, to the mystery, to the suffering, to the not knowing how it's all gonna work out, it is the presence of God. Take a look at how in verse for David says, I'll not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You are close beside me. This is a presence issue, far more than what it is a perfect knowledge issue. Now, for those of you that are quite new to church, let me just quickly clarify, knowledge is good. Understanding is good. That is my bend. My bend is towards wanting to understand, analyze, be able to explain, and there's a lot that we can. But I'm also just telling you that I have faced more than enough in my life where the explanation isn't sufficient to give me peace. When you've lost a loved one, or you have dealt with an injustice, or you're watching someone deal with an injustice, explaining it doesn't make it better. It might give you understanding, it doesn't give you peace. You are close beside me. There is a passage that is repeated a few times in, again, another fairly well-known story 
in the Bible, the story of Joseph. So even if you're not familiar with church or the Bible, this is the guy from the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat fame, okay? If you know theater. <laughs> That's our reference point. Quick, quick background story. Joseph's father, Jacob, he's married a few too many women. I don't know how you, like, stick with one, I'm just saying. Had children with each of them. He, in my opinion, he was not a wise father. He was not a good father in the way that he treated certain, certain wives favorably, certain kids favorably, and Joseph was by far the most favorite. God gives Joseph a, a vision and a dream at 17 of, of how God is going to use him one day. Now, Joseph is, he has been spoiled. He's got the amazing Technicolor dream coat. He, he, he shares this with his brothers. And then eventually even shares it with his dad. It was insulting to them that they're all going to bow down to him one day, and he was just unwise. Now, what I want to quickly point out is that there is an enormous difference between a dream or a vision and its achievement, actually being able to withstand the pressures of that vision or that dream. Some of us feel called to something, but we're not willing to go through the journey to being able to withstand the pressures that come from the weight attached to that dream or that vision or that cause that you want to make a difference in. And so for the next 13 years, Joseph went through hell. His brothers gang up against him. They wanted to kill him, but then eventually, out of like, act, like an act of mercy or kindness, they sell him, I would argue God's sovereignty, they sell him to a bunch of slave traders who take him to Egypt. And he lands up working in the home of a man named Potiphar. I want you to pay attention to a phrase that is repeated in Genesis chapter 39. In verse 2, it first says that the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So, wait, God, you've allowed me to be taken away. Hey, 17. 17. That's pretty intimidating. That's, you've literally been, he's a victim of human trafficking. 17. He's been sold as a slave, as a piece of machinery. God is with him? Yes, he was. God is with him, yet Potiphar's wife, who finds him attractive because he was hot, <laughs> pretty much what the Bible says, okay? He was chiseled, he was ripped. She kept propositioning him to have sex with her. Like, the, again, the Bible's not boring, everybody, and it, and it doesn't like skirt over these things. She was like, take me to bed, okay? This is TV on Friday night. You know, like, it was like, okay, hectic. It's funny, but I don't know about you. I'd be pretty cheesed off if I was Joseph. I'm like, God, you're with me? But then I'm having to face this? Now, I don't know what happened up until that time, but Joseph, something was happening inside of Joseph to where he was aware of God's hand in his life up until the point. Because he doesn't, he doesn't say to her, like, eh, no. He doesn't, he's like, no, no, God has. And your, and, and your husband, like my master Potiphar, he, he sees God's hand in this. He sees the sovereignty in this, and he's able to say no to the point that he, that he is treated unjustly. She rips his, she accuses him of rape, and God allows it, and he goes to prison for years. 
God is with me. So even in prison, verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, had him thrown, and threw him into the prison where the king's prisons were held, and there he remained. But, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other... Guys, I mean, yes, I wish I had more time. Just think about this, okay? He is, as a victim of injustice, he is still seeing God's hand sufficiently that he's being diligent enough, faithful enough, that, that he can be trusted with everybody else. Why? Because God knew that one day he'd be trusted with a nation. Nations. So if he can't trust Joseph with the other prisoners, why would he trust him with nations? God was with him. Verse 23, the warden had no more worries. Wouldn't it be great if your boss could say that? Because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. And one of the big things that stands out to me about the story of Joseph is that because God was with him in the pit, in part of his house, in the prison, and then eventually in the palace, where, as you, if you read the story further, it's a good story worth reading, by the way, Genesis chapter 37 to 50. It is worth reading. It's not boring. It appears from the outside as though he's been made prime minister in a day of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. But actually, God had been forming him over 13 years. And sometimes we want God to promote us, but we won't allow him to form us. And most of the formation, not all of it, we're going to look at it in another slightly nicer way on Christmas, so don't miss out. But for the most part, a lot of the formation comes through pain, difficulties, denials, challenges, misunderstanding. Our faith in God goes so much deeper when it goes from the abstract to the concrete, when it goes from the theoretical to the real. And that only happens through reality, through living in this world, through Him not just delivering us of every pain, every obstacle, every challenge. There are some of us that God, who, who, who maybe you're facing a chronic condition where God would say, my grace is sufficient. Wait, wait, what do you mean you're not gonna take it away? No, no, my grace is sufficient. This is, again, this is what Paul, who wrote most, much of the New Testament said, I've, I've asked God three times to remove this thorn from my side. And each time God says, my grace is sufficient. Most, I think, would argue that it was, and Paul even hints at the fact that it was given to keep him dependent on God, to keep him humble. There are so many stories throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of God being with people. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. He was with Joseph in the pit, Potiphar's house, the prison, and eventually the prime minister's palace when he, was, when he was rescuing the people of Israel. God had a plan, but, but that might sound like, okay, that's wonderful for all these heroes of faith. But the Bible also gives us an indication of other people. There's another story earlier in the book of Genesis where God is also with a person that many 
would think is, is a non-entity, unimportant. In fact, in fact, he was just a mistake. There should be shame. He should be forgotten about. And that's Ishmael. We'll read about Isaac. We'll hear about the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we need to be reminded that Abraham, the father of faith in, in, the, in the Old Testament context, failed at faith, and instead of continuing to trust God to do what only God could do at his timing, which messed with Abraham's theology and his thinking, because in the natural it was impossible. Impossible. So Abraham tries to help God. Isn't this what we do when, we, when we're not trusting God? We try and help him out. So, 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 so Sarah, Abraham's wife, gives him her servant. I mean, it's, again, it's just, it's like sad to be a, a concubine or wife. He has sex with her, and Ishmael is born, and he asks God, please bless Ishmael. And it's not that God wasn't going to bless Ishmael. It's just that he was saying, that's not the promise I gave you. And so if you read the story, the, the, the short bursts about Hagar and Ishmael, it's, it's, it's disturbing. It's wrong. It's bad. In today's social media, he'd be, Abraham would have been canceled. Okay? Done. Done. Forget about him. When Isaac is born, I mean, again, it's just, it's, it's ugly. It's ugly that Sarah can see God's supernatural hand and yet be so jealous and insecure of Ishmael and Hagar that she insists, that she forces Abraham to basically kick them out. God, God gives Abraham the okay and says, it's okay, I'll look after him. So Genesis chapter 21, verse 15, the worship team can come on up. It says, when the water was gone, so, so this is now Hagar and and, and Ishmael, they're, they're in the wilderness, they've been walking, they've run out of water, now they're basically going to die. It says, when the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush, then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away, saying, I don't want to watch the boy die. And she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying. I, I, just before I continue, I want you may not come from Honorable, noble, beautiful, romantic circumstances. But God hears, God sees, God cares, God is worth, God wants to bless, God wants to comfort, God wants to provide. But God heard the boy crying. This mistake, this, this, this thing of where Abraham tried to take things into his own hands. He heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. Hagar, what's wrong? Again, remember last week I said when God asks a question, it's not for his own, it's not for, it's not for information purposes. It's for us. Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Can God bless a mistake? There is no human being breathing that God would consider a mistake. You may come so far from ideal circumstances. I wish I could give you stories of people that I know that have come from, in the natural, completely messed up circumstances. But they are loved, they are seen, God has a plan, 
And I just think it's the enemy that wants to remind you and, and, and try, and, and he takes an element of truth. So you weren't planned, or you're the, you're the result of a rape, or, or your parents abandoned you, or, 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 or even if you grew up with your parents, you know, one of them never really wanted to use is how you feel. And he can kind of just, just feed this narrative where God is actually trying to say, no, no, I see you. I am with you. Then God opened Hagar's eyes and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. Verse 20. And God was with the boy. Before he was with Joseph, before he was with Daniel, before he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he was with this boy. As he grew up in the wilderness, he became a skillful archer and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. His mother arranged for him to marry a woman from the land of Egypt. When we see the shepherd, when our eyes are opened, if we, if, and by the way, that means that we've got to be, we've got to stay pretty close. Because that, so maybe you're saying, okay, Jason, that's great. That sounds nice. How? We'll go back to week two and three. Go back to verse two and three. We allow God to lead us to a place of rest. Last week we spoke about how we allow God to lead us, not only to rest, but to a place of renewal, to where we can actually see again, to where we can actually hear again. All of it comes down to our good shepherd, walking closely enough with our good shepherd. How do I have peace when I'm in this dark valley? I can't see where I'm going. I don't know where the next rock is. I don't know where the next thing that can twist my ankle is. I don't know if there are predators, you know, lining up in the shadows. How? We stay close to Jesus. We stay close to our good shepherd. We fight as though our lives depend on it, because I would argue that they do. We fight for time. We carve out time on a regular basis to spend slowed down time with God. He is our good shepherd. And we can trust him. This psalm is all about trust. Well, Jason, you didn't tell me like, that it's all going to be okay. I don't know that it's all going to be okay. I don't know that every person that has been diagnosed with a, with, a, with a disease that's going to take their life is going to be rescued. Some are, some are not. I can't tell you that everything that you'd like to work out with those closest to you is going to work out that way because people have a choice. I can't tell you that the good that you would like to see come out of a situation will come out of it the way you'd like it to win you. But we can walk with the good shepherd, allowing him to comfort us and to protect us. And I am convinced. Some of you know this verse because, again, it's, it's often become a cliche in Christian circles where, again, Paul, who I spoke about earlier, wrote in Romans 8 verse 28 that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, that can be such a painful cliche for people, especially when you're hurting, when you're in a situation. But if you allow the good shepherd to lead you through enough valleys, through enough confusion, through enough pain, through enough loss, through enough grief, to where, by the way, so for those of you that, that have been Christians for, for a much longer time, where, where all the formulas that used to work for you doesn't work for you, hey, I've put on worship. Why am I not having peace? Hey, I've gone to church. Why am I, why am I not having breakthrough? Hey, I'm, I'm giving, I'm tithing, I'm serving. I'm... 
and you start and you start realizing that that those formulas aren't good enough and it takes us into a deeper place and in that deeper place where we find that we can have confidence in the confusion that we can have peace even if we don't have the kind of perspective or clarity that we'd like to have and you come through enough of those you can say with confidence with authority with conviction in your bones that God causes all things to work together for good. Whether I'm gonna sit in this, in this lifetime or the next, he's good enough, I believe him, I trust him, there's enough that I've seen him do that I can trust him with the stuff that doesn't make sense to me. And you might just be able to say what Joseph said to his brothers at the end of the book of Genesis. Joseph reveals himself to his brother. Some of you know the story. They're petrified. They're like, oh, our dad's dead. Now he's going to like mong us. He's going to, he's going to take us out. He, he's just been acting gracious up until, because again, he's the prime minister. They, they're the ones that need food from him. They've come begging. They're scared. And after their father dies, they come and lie to him again. Hey, dad told us to tell you to forgive us. Like, be, be, be nice, okay? And Joseph says to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. I'm not saying that, that, that everyone can say this with confidence in this stage of your life, but some of you can because you've been through enough valleys. The enemy intended this thing for harm. The enemy intended this to hurt, to discourage, to hold back. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Now, I don't, know that jo- I don't know if Joseph had that revelation at 25, at 29, at 30, at 33, at 30, I don't know. But somewhere along the line, he had a re- he, that became real for him. That no matter what has happened to him in the natural, no matter where people have been evil, because people were evil to him, he's like, no, no, God had a bigger picture here. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Come on, won't you stand with me, please? While, you, while you're standing, I want to release those of you that are getting baptized. We just want to give you a few minutes to go and get changed. You can make your way to the extreme left-hand side of the auditorium. Peace will meet you there, and it'll direct you as to where you can get changed. But for those of us that are remaining, I want to just encourage you to close your eyes for a few moments. And if you're comfortable doing this, you don't have to, but just as a, as a sign of surrender, and, and openness, maybe even a hunger. Can I encourage you just to open your hands? Just in a posture of humility, of surrender. And can I encourage you to simply ask God to help you see? Maybe you're going through a dark valley. Maybe there's so many shadows that, that you can't tell good from bad, you can't tell left from right, you can't tell up from down but you want to stay close enough, or at least you want to want to stay close enough to the shepherd, ask God to help you to see. God, help me to see your heart. Help me to see where you have been faithful. Help me to see what you have brought me through in the past. Help me to see where you have shown your goodness in the past, that I can be confident that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And God, maybe even to a point that I can declare with all of heaven that you are good. 
You are good. Circumstances may not be good, but you are good. Physically, I may not be good, but you are good. Mentally, emotionally, psychologically, you may not feel good, but God, you are good. You are worth trusting. You are my shepherd. I have all that I need. God, you don't change. Circumstances change. I may change, but you don't change. You are the same on my worst day as what you are on my best day. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. I will declare that you are good. And God, would you help us to actually order our lives, to fight for space in our lives, to slow down and be with you, God. Lord, would you keep reminding us that this knowledge is not enough. Everything I've said today is not enough. Meditating on this, reflecting on this, it's not enough. We need to order our lives, position ourselves to being with you, to where this can go from our heads to our hearts, to where we become aware of your presence and where we can experience your love. And one last invitation, while your eyes are closed, is for everybody and anybody that is here in person, watching this online, you're watching this video at a later stage, or you're listening to the podcast, if you have not made a decision to begin that relationship with God, man, it is the single most important decision that you can make, and it will set into motion a chain reaction that will change your life. Again, you've heard today that it doesn't guarantee a honeymoon. It doesn't guarantee everything's going to be what, no, no. But you can have peace through the presence of God in your life. There are two very important aspects to this decision. The one is, is actually choosing to accept God's forgiveness because it's free. There's nothing that you can add to it. It is radical grace. He washes us clean of everything. And that's what we're celebrating in the baptism, by the way. As people go under the water, it's, it's, it's not supernatural in itself. It is a symbolic public celebration of, spiritually speaking, the old man being buried, the old woman being buried. And as we come up out of the water, it is symbolic of us being raised to life with Jesus. So we accept his forgiveness of sins, and secondly, we choose to follow. And we keep choosing to follow. And, and let me encourage you right up front, you're going to fail at times. But you try again. And you try again, and you try again, and you try again, and you try again. So while no one else is looking around, please can you just do me the great...